0: Hello, my name is Joe Hogan. Many of you know me as Epic Grays in various video games and social media. Welcome to episode three of geek 2 a geek culture podcast that celebrates the inner geek in all of us. Today's a very special episode for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, we're going to break with our traditional, well, traditional two episodes uh, format, and we're just going to spend today talking about uh, the different TV shows that are coming on this fall. Some of them have already started, and some of them are, are still coming up, but it's also special because I have a very special guest this week, my husband, Matt. How you doing, Matt?
1: Hey, Joe. I'm doing quite well. I'm really excited to be a part of the Geektitude podcast, and now part of the Geektitude family, in addition to being part of just your own family, and I'm excited to talk about some of these TV shows. You and I spent a lot of time watching some of these together, so it'll be fun to kind of be able to chat about them, and, and get our different opinions down for, for other people to hear about.
0: Well, yeah, and part of the reason why I thought this would be a fun episode to do is that we often have great debates about uh, the shows that we watch, and I thought that it might make for some interesting podcasting. So that's what I figured we'd do today. That
1: sounds good to me. Let's get started.
0: All right. The first thing I want to do, though, is I, I do want to introduce you to everybody. So um, I'm going to run you through our
1: Geektitude interview. So um, who are you? Tell us about yourself. Well, as you have said already, my name is Matt, Matt Lancelotti. I am, of course, your husband, but you already knew that. I did. Yes. Um, what else to tell that's interesting? I don't know. I'm a professor. I'm a professor of consumer psychology, uh, is a fancy way of saying it. I'm a professor of marketing and advertising. So I uh investigate how people think about all kinds of products and how things are communicated to them and so on and so forth, consumer emotions and technology and so forth. So that's kind of what I do for a living. Of course I live with you here at Palm Springs, which is an amazing place to be. We'll get to it in a little while. But a lot of opportunities to do geeky things here out in the desert. So, that's kind of fun. Perhaps the only other thing of interest to say would be that I am originally from the East Coast, from New Jersey. So, for those of you listening with fine-tuned ears, you may detect that accent every so often. But only if I talk about strong coffee or something.
0: Now, you don't self-identify as a geek.
1: Is that correct? Um, well, you know, I don't know. I've always <laughs> I have been externally identified as a geek by many people uh, many times throughout my life. I think perhaps, you know, today it's so wonderful because geeks and geekitude is so celebrated and such a positive thing. Uh, when I was growing up during the Bronze Age, uh, being a geek wasn't necessarily a positive thing, and so it wasn't something that I think younger people... Or even not so young people, uh, embraced in the way that they did it, that they do today. So I don't know that I necessarily myself thought of myself as a geek over the years, but since getting to know you and being in a relationship with you and so forth, one of the great things has been the extent to which you celebrate geekdom and you've introduced me to so many uh, geeky things that are really so much fun and that I was already interested in. But I just didn't see them as part of this collective culture, which uh, I now know them to be, and which is a lot of fun. So I guess what I would say is that, yeah, I do think I'm a little bit of a geek. I tend to think of myself perhaps as more of a nerd, if you want to separate the two. Uh, my interests often lie in things that um, have to do with science, and in particular, I, I'm really interested in earth sciences and geography and weather and maps. And some of the people may find those things geeky. Uh, I think a lot of people would still classify those things as kind of nerdy and not as interesting as some of the things that uh, are now consumed in geek culture. But either way, I'm happy to be, uh, at the very least, an honorary member of the geek community.
0: Very good. Do you have uh, areas that you do consider high geekitude in other than
1: your um your interest
0: in geography and maps and
1: that kind of thing? Well, yeah, those would certainly be the areas in which I have the greatest aptitude and knowledge in terms of this broader world of of geekdom. But uh, especially if we want to look at it from perhaps uh, the entertainment perspective, I certainly like a lot of television shows. and We're going to have a fun time talking about those today. So a lot of geeky television. I, in particular, like science fiction television. I also like science fiction writing. I uh, certainly have enjoyed plenty of science fiction novels over the years, so I have an aptitude, uh, for those things. Uh, comics themselves are not something that I have spent a lot of time reading over the years. That may be one area in which my geekitude is on the low side, though I will say that there were a few of them when I was a, a young lad that I did, uh, uh, page through in my, in my grandparents' basement where they had some very, very old uh, comics down there. Um, so that's something that I was interested in. Uh, my geekitude, in part is low, and I, I'm perhaps embarrassed to say this, but in some areas, because if we think about things like video games or computer games or other things that are really popular among uh, many in the geek community, uh, they tend to make me motion sick. <laughs> so I have tried, uh, to those of you listening, I have tried to uh, oblige my husband Joe by playing World of Warcraft with him or playing various other computer and video games with him. I bought a a Wii when we first got together so we could play. But unfortunately, I tend to last about 10 minutes or so before I start feeling a little bit nauseous and flushed and uncomfortable. And so, alas, m- my makeup, my physical makeup doesn't always allow me to enjoy some of those things. I, I do like uh, music quite a bit. And I really do enjoy, for instance, electronic dance music and electronica and some of those other uh, forms, more technological forms of music, I suppose you might say.
0: Very good. Um, are you working on anything geeky at the moment? Do you have any geeky projects or any geeky explorations that you are currently doing?
1: Well, um, I guess it depends on how we define projects a little bit. In terms of personal projects, I am working on and have been working on for a long time a, a novel. I do like to write, and it's a really fun novel uh, that involves a group of friends over a period of time and it focuses on different moments in their life that they remember years later. So that's certainly something that is something I have a passion for and I enjoy doing. I am spending a lot of time in kind of a work-slash-personal project in learning uh, geographic information system software, the mapping of the Earth in digital form and the ability to pull in all kinds of geographic data weather data consumption data business data all kinds of different data in layers and put all these layers to together in a way that you can visualize problems and visualize issues and do a lot of interesting research in terms of spatial analytics and things like that which perhaps again some of you listening might go yeah no that's squarely on the nerd side of things rather than the geek side of things but i find it really really interesting and i'm really excited to be learning some of this technology right now well
0: i think one of the the things that, when we talk about geekdom, we don't always remember to include the, the tech geeks, which I think would really enjoy some of the information processing and, and that aspect of it, and we definitely are going to, hopefully in the future, have some tech geeks on the show uh, as well. You are, however, my third in a row uh, guest that would say they have a very low geekitude in video games. So that says to me that I need to get a, a gamer in here in a new next couple of episodes to uh, kind of round that part out because I, I think I'm, I'm due to talk about video games
1: soon. I would agree, especially given <laughs> the amount of time you spend playing video games. I think having somebody on that you could talk to about that uh, would be a very good idea.
0: Do you have a favorite fandom?
1: Um, a favorite fandom... So in terms of fandoms that I'm interested in, again, I'm going to start off with something that probably is outside the realm of what you're thinking. I'm a big fan of weather, and so I love to go to, say, the Weather Underground website, Wonderground, and read a lot of the blogs on there and the forums on there and people talking about different weather systems of the moment, or certainly when we're in hurricane season now and people are posting their opinions and thoughts on what hurricanes are coming and what's going in the latest technology in terms of satellites or computer modeling of those systems, I find that interesting. So I suppose in that way I'm a fan of weather and weather software in that way. Um, I also am a, I will admit I'm a little bit of a fan of Apple products. So I love to go to the Apple, different Apple websites, macrumors.com and 95 mac and some of those other blog sites to read about the latest technologies that are coming out or what people think about them, reviews of those sorts of things. So I certainly engage in those fandoms, if you will. In terms of actual shows and characters, I'm certainly a fan of, and I think we'll talk about some of these so I don't want to give away too much at the moment, but I am a big fan, for instance, of The Amazing Race, and I love to read up on some of those characters uh, even before the show started. I logged onto the websites and I read about the the different, I I call them characters, they're not really characters, of course, they're actual real people, but reading about them and their relationships and why they went on the race and and following along with that. Similarly, a show that's not airing currently, but Big Brother, you and I both watched that a lot this summer, well, we watched the whole series this summer, and uh, in addition to watching the series, you kind of get interested in certain, again, certain cast members that are on the show, and you follow them a little bit outside the show and read about them. In particular, I found Vanessa to be really, really very interesting. Vanessa is, of course, the the woman that a lot of people thought would win the show, who ended up not winning the show. She came in third, but she's one of the world's greatest poker players. And so I spent a lot of time, I will admit, on YouTube watching a lot of her interviews with people mostly in the poker industry or in poker channels who knew that there was whole media around poker. But there is. There are a lot of... Entire shows dedicated to poker and poker viewing and so she's been interviewed quite a bit in many places around the world. And so it was interesting to see her uh, in those areas. I'm also a fan and this is one area in which Joe and I are a little bit different. I tend to be a fan of gay film and watching uh, gay movies whether they're on, you know, in the theater whenever they rarely are in theaters but certainly on Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever. I like it even though oftentimes the production quality is less than we might hope they would be. I still find them either heartwarming or romantic or sometimes just fun to watch if they've got a little bit of skin in there. Uh and so I find those interesting to watch and uh will when Joe is not home because he's working late or has something to do, I know those are my nights that I can sit down with a bowl of popcorn and watch a watch a nice, fun, poorly produced game movie and enjoy it without Joe sitting there scowling about how all game movies have the exact same plot, and there's really only one of two things going on, and he can predict the whole thing before it ends. So I would say I'm a a fan of those things as well.
0: All right, so we're going to move on to how we kept it geek this week. Uh, A lot of what we did, I think, was TV-related, so we'll definitely talk talk about that uh, in detail in a second. But uh, for me, I've continued to listen to Rachel and Miles Explains the X-Men, which is my absolute favorite podcast ever, and I am having so much fun with it. They are so fun in how they present these stories, because it, the X-Men is just weird and convoluted, and they've retconned it 50 bazillion times, and so I love listening to their takes on it, and the just the snarky irreverence that they they approach it with. And yet at the same time, they really love the properties. So they they just in in love. And, and it's such a it's such a unique podcast. I, I cannot recommend it. How about you, Matt? What did you geek out with this
1: week? Well, perhaps unsurprisingly, most of the geekier things that I did this week, I did with you. Yes. So going back to last weekend, uh, you and I went to Not Scary Farm. We did. Which was, I have to say, an amazing time. I had so much fun, I would go again next week if I could. And that is so different from what I was expecting. I am someone who, as my husband very well knows, because I said this many times before we went, does not like to be scared. And I generally startle very, very easily. If a shadow moves across the floor when I walk in a room, I'm more likely to jump up and run out of the room. So I just thought that going to a venue where whole purpose was to not only scare you, but scare you by startling you, by jumping out at you as you went around corners and so forth, would just be a miserable and stressful experience. And I was a little bit stressed about it for several days uh, before we went, as we ta- as we discussed. But having said that, it was really, really cool. I found out, and I'm quite pleased, that I actually don't like being startled a little bit when I know I'm going to be startled. <laughs> and so... It was actually a lot of fun, and the set design of the different uh, houses, haunted houses that they have their mazes, I guess they call them, uh, were really, really interesting. We really neat to see. I mean, they've got some fun costumes, really great set design. Of course, the Elvira show was very funny and very entertaining, and had a lot of sexy, fun dancers to watch as well. So uh, it was a really fun evening. It was really a lot of fun, and I'm hoping we'll make it an annual tradition. Yeah, Elvira was amazing. And
0: I I had gone to the last time I'd gone to Not Scary Farm was maybe five or six years ago, and she wasn't feeling well. So she they still had the Elvira show, but she was not a part of it. So this is actually the first year that I've ever seen her perform at Not Scary Farm,
1: and she was just delightful. And she looks amazing for. Yeah, her, for, she she really does. Now granted, we were about fifty meters away, which perhaps helps her to look amazing, but. Uh, she was really pretty great and a lot of fun, and it was a great, it was a great, great show. So yeah, so we had a lot of fun at that. That was last weekend. Just a couple of hours ago, you and I, of course, went to the Shag Home Tour, which was really also quite cool. Joe and I have a lot of artwork by the artist Shag in our house. He paints a lot of artwork, which is, I suppose, loosely fits into the category of mid-century modern. uh Is kind of the general aesthetic. Bright colors and, and funky shapes and forms and things that are perhaps recall the the sixties and seventies and the, at least the early seventies and so forth and so anyway Joe and I have a lot of his artwork in our home and we had the opportunity to go on a tour of his Palm Springs home which is very much chock full of his artwork and his style uh, going beyond just prints and paintings on the wall right down to his. Furniture, his custom printed wallpaper, all of the lamps and lighting that he has, the 60s-style volcanic rock wall in the living room and so forth. Really quite fun, really very imaginative. Uh, gave us some ideas about what we might do around the house if we uh, if we can find some more money to do some of these things. So that was certainly a lot of fun. And, of course, the deviled eggs and daiquiris that they were serving up it certainly didn't hurt to make the make the tour even that much more fun.
0: Yeah, they had a nice spread. And uh, we, we have a, a very special place in our heart for shag because I think it was our third date uh, when I went to Matt's apartment. Mm. And I earned myself some brownie points when I looked up at his wall and said, oh, you have a shag. And he was very excited, and now we're looking at that check on the wall in our office right now. We
1: are. We are. Yes, I was impressed that Joe was familiar with that artist, because uh, I had only learned about it myself maybe a few years before that. So those are probably the two geekiest activities that I've done this week in terms of events. Uh, another perhaps somewhat geeky thing that I did this week is I downloaded a copy of the new, well, perhaps not terribly new at this point, several months maybe, uh, book called The Underground is Massive which is a history of the electronic dance music movement in the United States.
0: Oh, that's cool. Uh, Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm really, I've been hearing a lot about it. I've heard the author interviewed on NPR and uh, other snippets of it here in various media outlets. And as I said at the top of the show, I've always been interested in electronic dance music, even going back to before it was probably called that in high school, alternative music, um, I was, was kind of my genre uh, when I was in high school. And then when I was in college, I was really interested in dance music and techno and house and all of those things as they were growing. And I continue to be even now as a somewhat slightly older person, uh, very interested in that. And when I drive on my commute hour and a half each way as, uh, as Joe and I, uh, do when we go to work, uh, I pretty much 90% of the time I'm listening to NPR I'm listening to SiriusXM's BPM, uh, Beats Per Minute Station, uh, listening to uh, to electronic dance music. So I, I'm really interested in the music. I like the music a lot. You know, as I said, when I was younger, I would more often go to some of the concerts and the different clubs. I lived in New York City for a while right out of college um, and went to a lot of the bigger dance clubs and dance halls and listened to this. So. There's a bit of nostalgia in it for me and I'm kind of interested to read about how the, how that, how that whole area of music evolved and came at least somewhat closer to the mainstream over the years and is now such an integral part of some of the big music festivals like Coachella and others, uh, when even just a few years ago it was a much smaller portion of people that were listening to it. So, uh, it should be an interesting read if and when of course I can find a little bit of extra time to actually read something just for pleasure. Yes, we've both had a very busy, busy week, which is
0: why we're kind of doing a different format show this week. It gives us a little bit of time to spend some time together, and it also gives me a little less time to edit, which is uh, definitely a nice thing. Mm -hmm. All right, so we're going to move on to our feature tonight, which is uh, our TV shows and what we're watching and what we're going to be watching and some things that we're not watching but we've heard of, and uh, so that's what we're going to talk about, and uh, I'm just going to... Randomly pulled from the list. Uh, one of the shows that we've started watching is Blind Spot. Yes. Um, I like this a little bit more than you do. <laughs>
1: um,
0: but the premise is a woman shows up in New York in a bag. Yeah. A big bag, and she's covered head to toe with tattoos, and
1: her tattoos basically... They are- represent clues that the police can solve. So the main tattoo that you, that we're first alerted to is the name of an FBI agent, on her back, and so of course they contact this agent, and then they, as they go through the different tattoos on her body, it's kind of a series of puzzles to unravel. So they decode the one tattoo, which leads them to perhaps solve a particular crime, and then the information they get in solving that crime gives them something they can use to decode the next tattoo, and then when they solve the crime associated with that, it gives them information to decode the next tattoo, and so on and so forth. And, uh, yeah, as Joe said, I, I'm perhaps less a fan of the show than he is, not, I think, because I'm any less interested in the, the premise or the idea behind the show. I think both Joe and I thought it was a really neat idea and a fun concept and something that, you know, there's a lot you can do with And so we're both really quite excited to watch the show when it first came out. Uh My quandaries with the show, or, or my quarrels, I should say more accurately, with the show are really more that it has kind of, at least to me in the first few episodes, and I am willing to give it a few more to, to see where they go with this, it's kind of been reduced to a basic procedural, where the whole mystery of the tattoo and why she's tattooed and so forth, that, that B plot... It's not completely shunted to the side, but it's certainly not the focus of the show. Mm -hmm. And the main focus of each episode of the show is solving that particular crime, which is interesting, but it's not so different from any number of dozens of other shows in which they're trying to solve a crime. And perhaps more to what what irks me about the show, and, and Joe and I had a bit of a debate about this the other night, is that they've kind of turned the main FBI agent, the guy whose name was on her back, into kind of one of those heroes who can solve any problem, overcome any situation. Think back to Kiefer Sutherland in 24 a number of years ago, which was another series which I really liked at first. But after a couple of seasons, it was kind of like, okay, he's already solved the world from nuclear disaster. What more could he possibly do? And in Blindspot, the main FBI agent is the person who does everything in the entire show. So they need to go and interrogate someone. He goes and does that. There's a guy with a bomb about to blow up a big, you know, public plaza. They send him, one guy, one FBI agent in to defuse the bomb, solve the whole problem. They don't bring in any other federal agencies or the local police or anyone else that in real life we would actually bring in when we have a big bomb going off in public. Uh, they just bring in him, and he single-handedly takes down the bad guy and the woman covered in tattoos who is supposed to be the special ops woman who has all this amazing training and so forth goes along with him and often fights but then at the end of the day kind of hangs off his shoulder and looks into his eyes and is like oh you've protected me and saved me and helped me and i just kind of feel like they've kind of reduced it down to these these stereotypes of this of this guy who can do anything and never needs help from any anything else and the woman being a bit diminutive and and I think that's a shame, because I think the show had a lot more going for it than uh, than that.
0: Yeah, well, I think
1: one of the big problems
0: about TV recently is that everything is a procedural. Like, a lot of people are talking about the the death of comic book movies in television, and they say, well, we're going to be oversaturated, and we're not going to want to watch them anymore because there's just so many out there, and it's kind of like, I don't know, because there's so many CSIs, and there's so many... You know, law and order types and all these procedurals, after a while, they all look the same. And a lot of the comic book movies that are coming out, or co- comic book television shows that are coming out, are reduced down to procedurals. And it makes it less interesting and less impactful. So I don't know how much of the dislike comes from it being reduced down to a, a procedural or how much it's just the characters not really being more than stereotypes at this point? I don't know how much of that is the the way it's written or the fact that it just needs some episodes to get its legs and develop those characters so that they don't have to fall into those stereotypes. So that we can... I I feel like the reason why we have these procedurals and often a lot of these shows will, will veer off of that format after their first year is because they need something familiar to pull the audience in.
1: Yeah, I, and I think that, and this is something we'll talk about when we talk about a few of these other shows, because a lot of the new shows, as Joe has said, are basically procedurals. I think my issue with Spot is that, on top of the fact that they've kind of reduced it to a procedural, they've reduced it to a procedural with really stereotypical and stereotypically unbelievable characters. Again, you know, and, and this is an issue that Joe and I... Go back and forth on as to how realistic a show needs to be or whether you can kind of give an artistic or literary license to go beyond the believable. And I think in general I'm willing to do that if it serves a purpose to further the plot in a meaningful way. But my biggest issue with Blindspot, as I said, is that they kind of have this one man federal police force, which just doesn't, it doesn't fit with the way Any of this stuff is is done in reality, and it's not necessary for the plot. I mean, you could have a really fascinating show about this woman with all of these tattoos and still have it be a procedural without having to elevate this guy and put him on a pedestal and make it like this this handsome, rugged agent who can handle any situation by himself alone and do no wrong and who never smiles. And it's just, oh gosh, we've seen this so many times over the years, and it's just gets to be a little bit um boring over time but you know i think it's an interesting contrast from another show that we have here on the list minority report which we could also say that that's basically taking the concept of minority part from the movies and reducing it down to a weekly procedural in which they're using the precog who can see the future who sees these murders happening in the future the police are using him to solve crimes uh, and, of course, it's a new crime in every single episode. So they've kind of reduced that to a procedural as well. But I don't have as many issues with that show because it's a little bit more of an ensemble cast. Mm-hmm. You have the precog and his brother and the woman, the three of them who were all precogs in the day of pre-crime prevention. You have the police officer, the woman. Um, so you still have this kind of stereotypical man and woman team solving crime. But then you also have her colleagues, her boss, who is the... Um, it was the guy who was in that 70s show. Yeah, it was we really were, kind of funny. He has totally changed. Considerably. He looks it much, uh, much older and more handsome than he was back then. Um And then you have her colleague who's kind of the woman who does kind of the, the data entry and so forth and who can research things on the computer, kind of the, the equivalent of Phoebe from 24. And I think that works a little bit more because
0: it's – Meant to be taking place in a crime situation. It's right. not, it's is about the crime situation. Of, yeah. So it, I, I, I think it does work a little bit better and I think the characters are a little less
1: standard and stereotype. Yeah, well exactly. They're less standard, they're less stereotype. Uh, there's this ensemble of characters rather than really these two. I mean, there of course are the two main characters like there are a blind spot, but they're not elevated to this unbelievable level that's uh just kind of old and tired but another thing too which i have to say about minority report is that there's other things to sink your teeth into especially for geeks there's a lot of really cool technology Mm -hmm. it's still like the movie did those years ago with tom cruise it tries to imagine the future and what will that technology be like in the future and for a television show with which I would assume has a much lower budget than, of course, a feature film would, I think they do a really pretty good job of having the technology look realistic and real and not really cheesy low production value. So whether it's having self-driving cars, as of course we all know are coming, or having... Uh, holographic displays that let you interact with people you're talking to or artwork on the wall that moves and changes over time because, of course, it's all digitally projected and so forth. They've got a lot of things that, even if you look at the background of what's going on, are kind of fun and neat to see. It's like, oh, do you see that thing in the background? That's cool. I wonder if we'll ever get one of those. And that's that's nice. It's something that uh, draws you into the show and, and gives you something else to to focus on beyond just the, the procedural plot. So, Minority Report is definitely a show that I am a little bit more intrigued by and see myself following for for a little bit longer than perhaps Blindspot.
0: And I think the last in our kind of very procedural-type TV shows that we're watching now
1: is Limitless. Yeah. Limitless is, you know, as you just said, it's another procedural, and they've taken this this cool idea, again, from a movie where – if you take this drug, it unlocks that ninety percent of your brain that most of us aren't using, and allows you to see and understand amazing things that most of us can't. And the movie was really cool. Remembering Joe and I went back and watched the movie on
0: Netflix. Yeah, we want to make sure we we understood what was going on. With yeah, the and TV we series. and we
1: kind of thought, wow, this is such a neat idea. We missed this movie. Let's go back and watch it. We really we really enjoyed the movie, and it was quite interesting. All of the challenges, because of course, as we all might imagine having so much brain power and the ability to understand so many things can can give you a lot of power and open a lot of doors but can of course also lead to a lot of difficult situations and cause a lot of problems as well and they explored a lot of those in the movie and that was kind of interesting of course in the TV show they've reduced it to a procedural where the extra bank brain power unlocked by the pill simply allows him to more easily solve crimes for the police or the FBI agent that he is working with and again He's a guy, he's working with a female agent, and the two of them solve crimes together using his excess brain power as is unlocked by this pill. And they don't explore a lot of the more interesting issues around having that brain power to the extent that they did in the movie because, of course, it's mostly 45 minutes. You've got you've to gotta introduce a, a crime and solve the crime and get the bad guys all within a 45-minute episode. So, again, it's kind of a lot of this how could we ever possibly figure this out? And then all of a sudden he takes his pill and he has all of these answers at his fingertips. And Of course, none of the viewers would have been able to figure out either. So that can be a little bit disappointing. What I do think is interesting with Limitless, though, and where I do say that it also has enough to keep me going, is the characters themselves are a little bit more interesting. They have a lot of personality and more depth to them.
0: Yeah, and I think it it falls somewhere in between. I think the the... B plot in Limitless is a little bit more engaging and a little bit more...
1: A little more well developed. Yeah. They they do bring it to the fore in each episode for at least a little while so that you can, that you can see some of these bigger picture issues that come up from it.
0: And there's actually kind of a C plot too because you have the B plot which you can say is the whole, how, what his relationship is going to be with the Bradley Cooper character. Is it Senator Mora? Yeah. And Bradley Cooper, you know, appeared in the first episode, I don't think he's going to appear in very many episodes, he's just going to be referred to as a kind of this background existence, you're, I don't think you're going to see him, you're going to see his his entourage, but you won't see him, but they have that whole underlying plot of this kind of creepy,
1: involved big brother character. He's basically the one who supplies the pills. Yeah. Like that's kind of the key thing here, we're all of a sudden talking about Bradley Cooper, but... Yeah, he's the one who in the TV show supplies the pills and is causing the somewhat of the problems for him using these pills on an ongoing basis. And so that's that opportunity to explore kind of the the long-term, bigger picture effects of the pill. Yeah,
0: but then I think you have a C-plot of them exploring, you know, where does... The character's identity end and the pills' influence begin. Right. And kind of how does he relate to his family? How does he relate to, in Dating a lot of cases, ex girlfriends and, so and and relationships and and now this this cop that he's working with, how our FBI agent rather? Why? How does how does the pill affect those relationships? Yeah. How
1: much of us is our personality and our innate being, and how much of us is the the information or knowledge that we have and how we use that knowledge. Yeah, the things you know, we can do. The things we can do. And so that's kind of an interesting thing to explore. So I think both Joe and I are enjoying Limitless and, and find it an interesting show, even though, like the others, it's unfortunately a little bit of a uh, procedural. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, um, we caught up last night on Scream Queens, and I mentioned that a little bit, I think, when I was talking to Ray on episode one. And we like screen queens. It's not a procedural. We like Ryan Murphy's stuff. So I, I'm enjoying it. It is campy, it is it horror is. light.
1: Yeah, it's it's a fun, refreshing show. I, I could certainly see where it's where it wouldn't be for everybody. No, definitely, it's not. really uh, you know it's it's very campy and it's very goofy and it's certainly over the top. And I can even see where some people might find it a little bit offensive in some ways because mm-hmm. they they poke fun at just about everybody and they they engage in a lot of stereotypes. But I and I think Joe as well find it to be a lot of fun. It's certainly a refreshing change from all these procedurals, um, and it's. Again, it's a nice balance of there is this kind of, um, you know, this B-plot, this underlying, you know, who is actually murdering people. So there is something where you're actually trying to figure this out and see what's going on. And some people may find that more or less difficult to try and figure out than others. But that is still kind of the underlying thing going on in the background. So you have that. But then again, you have this whole ensemble cast. So even if you're not a particular fan of one or the other character, there's so many other interesting characters to choose from. And they've all got different personalities and different perspectives, and that's a lot of fun. There are a lot of people to kind of cheer for or to root against, and, of course, they're doing crazy over-the-top things. The show is, in addition to being very graphic and very violent when they're showing, you know, chopping people's arms off or being all bloody and stabbing and stuff like that, which, again, might turn some people off, but, of course, it's done in such a high-camp way. It's so over-the-top. It's so over-the-top, but then again, you could argue, and we'll perhaps talk about this in a little while, you could argue the same thing for... You know uh the walking dead you know it's so over the top of these zombies, but it can still be disturbing sometimes. Scream Queens, of course, is even more uh over the top and perhaps less believable than that is, but it's also fun and entertaining because they're poking fun at so many different types of people, whether it's. You know, fraternity and sorority, you know, fraternity boys and sorority girls or elite schools or the whole idea of academic institutions really being more focused on making money and keeping parents happy than they are in educating their students. I mean, there's a lot of underlying issues which certainly aren't addressed, addressed directly, but are kind of given a little bit of voice while these Kids are running around screaming and getting hacked up and stuff.
0: I, I think it's, it's a lot of fun. I think it's fun because they take a lot of the people that we, in, the, the 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 bad in, in society, and they kind of blow it up bigger than life, and then they kill it. And it's kind of it's kind of cathartic to watch the people that are the pretentious people that you just don't like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of get it in these ridiculous silly ways. Yes,
1: I, I would agree. Though I would also say that they do a pretty good job of not making any one character completely bad or completely good. They don't they don't fall into that trap of just, you know, kind of vilifying the, the typical stereotypical person that might be vilified elsewhere, which is which is kind of nice as well. My biggest complaint so far with the show is that uh, they introduced a gay fraternity brother in the first episode, played by the Jonas brother and we haven't seen him since, and we're now what four episodes in or so. Uh, and I want to see him come back. I kind of want to see what they're gonna do with him, if they're gonna kind of explore that a little bit a little bit further. and i, I he he had a fun role in that first episode, and I, I'm a little disappointed we haven't seen that reprised yet in any subsequent episodes.
0: yeah, i'm guessing I'm guessing his price tag's a little higher, so fewer episodes I think will will come along the way.
1: True, although I can't imagine Leah Michelle is terribly cheap to put in the show either. Yeah, but if you're paying for
0: Leah Michelle and Jamie Lee Curtis, you know you have to you have to scrim somewhere. I guess so. One big change on television right now that's not really a a premiere, but it's new, um, is Stephen Colbert on Late Night.
1: Yeah, the Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Uh that's something that I think I watch more than Joe does. You do well, I do watch it more than he may not even realize it because I often watch it. (laughs) You watch it
0: and i go, oh let's watch this. I already watched them all.
1: Yeah, I it's it's a good show to quickly watch while you're having lunch when you're working at home or something. Um I think it's a lot of fun. I you know, and I think as I've watched more of the show over the past couple, what, three or so weeks that it's been on, I feel like it's getting better in the sense that you know, one of the concerns is that the Colbert Report was so much fun, Jon Stewart was so much fun, it was a great show, but they, you know, one of the things that made them really good shows is that they really didn't hold back, and they really skewered a lot of, uh, in particular, the media and reporting on things and people's hypocrisy about any number of issues and so forth, and uh, that was always kind of interesting and refreshing, and frankly, in some ways, you feel you felt like you could trust uh, the Colbert Report as a as a way to get your news information than than a lot of the uh, the cable news channels which these days cable news is an oxymoron it's really just infotainment while talking about current events and so when Colbert went over to late night I thought okay he's going to really kind of water it down and
0: yeah he's gonna clean up his act he's gonna really
1: clean up his act and it's not gonna really push buttons I remember the You know, I watched Jimmy Fallon on The Tonight Show the first couple of times he was on and I thought, oh, gosh, you know, he's kind of gone back to that wholesome 50s guy making these kind of slightly funny jokes and, uh, you know, but I'm really pleased to see that Stephen Colbert is, is still really touching on a lot of important issues but is doing it in, in a lot of the same ways as he did on his show. He's got a lot of great graphics and video segments and other things like that which, you know, he pulled from The Colbert Report and which we didn't previously see on the late show with David Letterman at least to the extent that I remember. Yeah, I so mean, that's he's
0: fun. finding his place in between David Letterman's late night and, uh, Colbert Report. I think he, I think that's a big part of what he's going through right now, and I think he's doing a pretty good job of it. I think yeah. he's finding his legs, definitely, and I think he'd definitely go, okay, that didn't land exactly the way he wanted it to. But for the most part, I think he's, he's found his, his stride, he's getting there. At, at yeah, any, at yeah, I, I find it fun to
1: watch. I find it an, an interesting show.
0: Now, there's a couple of things that are premiering right now that, that have premiered, but we have not gotten to yet, but we're going to briefly touch on them. You found
1: Quantico. Yeah, Quantico is one of those shows that's got really good reviews. It's got a very high Metacritic score, uh, so a lot of good buzz around it, and apparently one of the FBI agents in the show is gay, and that's kind of a novel thing for that type of show to have one of the main central kind of masculine characters be a a gay guy. And so I'm interested to see the show, to watch it. It's supposed to be good. I think perhaps another little bit of a kind of procedural perhaps. But I think that this one has a little bit more of a a longer arc to the main storyline, and it might be a little bit more engaging for that reason. So we've added it to, to our season pass on the TiVo, and uh, we have to go back and catch up on the first couple or three episodes that we've already missed. But I, I think that might be one that that we like. And I think for me, and perhaps we'll get to this uh, in a few moments, um, it's a little bit more of the genre that I like. I tend to like the Born Identity and James Bond and Mission Impossible and some of those kind of like international intrigue. And action and adventure kind of, of course, those are movies. Kind of shows more than I like fantasy sort of things. I'm not. I'm not. I will admit this is kind of one of those areas where Joe and I have gone back and forth, particularly when it comes to video game. Uh, I I just don't understand where where everything in fantasy involves somebody named Grondok and Gondogor and Dushengock, and it's like the same premise, the same basic for for everything. Anyway. That is a complete tangent, i trying At this to this point, say. I'd
0: like to, to say that the views of our guests does not necessarily reflect the views of geek dude in general.
1: <laughs> that I'm sure, it's quite true. Um, but what, what I think is cool about the idea of Quantico is that it is kind of a little bit more set, perhaps, in kind of the real world of international intrigue and spying and stuff as opposed to supernatural and fantasy and and that sort of thing, which I I will say, I do have to say, I really enjoy. You know, I enjoy Daredevil, and I enjoy The Flash, and I enjoy Arrow, and, you know, we'll talk about some of these things. I'm looking forward to the upcoming show with all of the superheroes together. Legends of Tomorrow. Legends of Tomorrow. I'm looking forward to Supergirl. I think that that will be a lot of fun. So I do enjoy them, but, and again, I think we'll get to this in a few moments, there's an awful lot of those things on the air right now, and I have a, a threshold, <laughs> and at some point, I I my threshold is reached, so Quantico might be a little bit of a, of a break in between, but we'll see. Maybe not. Uh, One that I think, another one that we haven't watched yet either, that I think will be much more of a break with some of those other shows that we've been talking about, is American Horror Story Hotel. Joe and I have been told by many people that we really should watch American Horror Story and that they're, that not all, but most of the prior seasons are really, really good and are something we would enjoy. And we've never watched any of them in large part because, as I noted before, I don't like to be scared, and so I don't like the idea of watching a scary television show. But, I mean, Lady Gaga. So yes, we're going to so, watch it, and I'm hoping it's going to be good. Although,
0: ratings have been mixed. I've got to very much thank my friends, Jane and Jeff, for... uh convincing my husband to go to Not Scary Farm with us last weekend and and open up this possibility that scary movies... Because before I met my husband, I watched a lot of scary movies. Like, I loved going to the movie theaters and being scared, and I don't know if we're there yet. I don't know <laughs> that we're there yet. But at least he is now open to the possibility, and so I cannot thank them enough, and I think Lady Gaga, too, needs a thank, because mm-hmm. that at least entices him. Into watching, uh, if you combine well-care.
1: a horror and scary with camp and amazing set design and stuff, you, you have more of an opportunity to, to pull me in a little bit. So uh, I'm looking forward to checking that one out. So we'll see where that one goes. On the other side of the spectrum, of course, is Heroes Reborn, and that's a, a show that we did watch together, and as so many people have said the first so many episodes were great, and then the show just seemed to kind of go downhill towards the end. And I don't think we ever even finished watching the
0: series. Yeah, well, we we were actually I don't think we were together when it was running. I think we watched it individually, and we both just individually did not care for. As my friend pointed out, it was during the the writer's strike, so I think that's a big reason why it didn't
1: do really well. So Heroes is one of those shows that. Heroes Reborn, I should say, is one of those shows that we have high hopes for, mainly because it's gotten really good reviews. The Metacritic has got a high score, Metacritic, and so we're hearing good things about it. But we stopped, both stopped watching the original show when it was on the air because it got so bad towards the end. Um, And it is yet another show about supernatural or superpowered people, heroes, and, and so on and so forth. So. There's that. It has the potential to be yet another show that goes above Matt's threshold of superheroes. But because it does have such good reviews, we certainly will give it a fair shot. There's Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I think started off really strong this season. I would agree. I think Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a show which is really well produced, and even more so now than I would say during the first season and it's got an interesting plot. They keep things moving along a little bit. A little tired of the ward character. I'm kind of like, okay, I feel like you've utilized that storyline. He's a bad guy. Got it, got it. Like, I want to see them focus on somebody else. But aside from that, I feel like they're moving the characters in new directions. I like what they're doing with May. I think that they're showing a little bit of a different side to her personality, making her a little bit more relatable, showing that she does have the softer side, which I think... At some point, they needed to do. I, I I was perfectly fine with her being a little less accessible at first because that's kind of her character. But now I'm, I'm interested in them seeing uh, they're opening her up a little bit more. Uh, I do like what they've done with Daisy. I think that they've made her stronger. They took her from that first season of being kind of like, a new member of the team and not really sure what she's doing. And then she kind of found her own last season. And now she's just what she is. She's strong. She's a member of the team. She's accepted as a member of the team. And I like that. They didn't draw that out. They didn't drag it on and, and so on and so forth. Fifth, I think, you know, last season, I understand that they had to kind of make him a little less strong because he had been injured. He had been in an accident. And to just heal him right away wouldn't have been realistic and I'm glad that they didn't do that, because that's one of the issues that I have with so many shows that they're unrealistic, you know, it's like... Um, but after a while, that whole Fitz storyline along with his love interest... Simmons. Simmons. You know, there's only so long you can go back and forth. Although, if you watch Friends, you know, it's about 15 years of back and forth between Rachel and, and Ross. But uh, for, in a show like this, I, I don't think that works for as long. So I like the fact that now, in this season, Fitz is stronger and he's uh, more assertive, and he's kind of, he's become his own man. I like to see that change in him, so that's that's nice to see. I
0: don't know that they're going to stop the prevention of their relationship from moving forward. I will, I'm sure they will throw things in, but I don't think it's going to be the awkward misaligning of fortunes that it's been up until this point yeah. where he doesn't want to say anything to her she doesn't want to say anything to him right. i think that part has moved on i'm yeah. sure they will have other reasons that they'll you know I, all the relationships there are never cut and dry it's never we're completely on the same page and they it, and it shouldn't be everybody has different dynamics to their relationship and i think that's what makes it work is that you can be really really mad at the other character but
1: it doesn't mean that you don't love them or you don't have that relationship. Yeah, and and I do like to see that. That's one of the nice things about the show is that they kind of they again they develop the characters a little bit more deeply, and you see that with between a lot of the different characters, whether it's friendships or romantic relationships and so forth, you see them grow stronger and weaker over time, and and they portray that. It's not just about the mission they're on this week. Mm-hmm. You know, you really do get to see a lot of character development. And actually, along those same lines. One of the things that I do like in another new show, in The Arrow, is the fact that finally The Arrow has gotten together with his girl, Felicity, Felicity and that I really enjoyed seeing in the premiere episode, because there was so much of that back and forth, does he like me, Does she, is she interested, I'm not going to go after her because it's not fair to her, And again that just gets old after a while. And so when they started off this season where they're together, they're, they're totally together. They have a strong relationship. Everybody knows about it. There's no, I I liked that. I felt, okay, good. It was, it was fun seeing them together. It was fun seeing that side of the arrow, him being domestic and cooking at home in the suburban home. I thought that was such an interesting and different direction to take. And you were very disappointed when they. Went back to the city. <laughs> yes, and at the end of the episode, of course, they're right back in Star City, Starling City, and, uh, gonna be back in the same places they always were. Cause I was like, wow, this is a neat, novel thing to do with the show. Now they can fight, fight criminals in the, in the suburban area from their suburban home where she's, you know, works at the PTA and he's this fun, you know, handsome dad or whatever. It's like, it's a little cheesy, I realize. But I thought, well, that's different and it's interesting and it's a different setting. And yet, no, they're, no, they're,
0: they're going to... Well, here's my question. This is a little bit of a spoiler, but it's the first episode, and it's not a spoiler-spoiler because spoiler, we don't actually know who it is, but the the episode does end with the arrow standing in a grave. It's six months after the rest of the episode, so it's kind of implied that the rest of the season is going to be leading to this conclusion. Who do you think is in the grave? Do you think it's Felicity?
1: Honestly, I don't know that I want to think about who's in the grave because... and. If it is Felicity, I'm going to be very mad at the show. Oh, I think
0: a lot of people are going to be very mad at the show.
1: And I think that's kind of the thing, because it's like, you know, it's actually fun to see a superhero who has a, not so much just an emotional side, but who has that romantic side. So often superheroes are portrayed as, was my big criticism at the top of the show about Blindspot, although he's not a superhero, but he's the central... Uh, character, he's the savior in the show. So often the main, uh, lead in these are these uh, inaccessible, emotionally hardened, strong, rough guys who have, and here we have Steve Amell who is making omelets and is openly being affectionate with her and is talking about how he is perfectly happy to be away from fighting crime and all this danger and kind of, kind of wants to move on with his life. And I thought that's really cool. That you can actually be a guy who goes out and fights crime and has got all of this amazing strength, physical strength and mental strength to understand these criminals. And yet you can still be a guy who goes jogging in the morning and lives in a suburban home and has got this, you know, wife that you cook omelets for and you're happy to cook for her kind of a thing. I mean, it's kind of a neat thing. And so if they kill off his wife at the end of the season. Well, they're not married yet. Well, okay. They're not. They're not even true, engaged. True. True. Well, true. But he's been—he's flipping this ring around the entire episode. So you imagine that's coming at some point. Um. So if they—they they kill her off at the end of this season, and again make him hate the whole world and be angry at the world because they've taken his wife, and so it's the same stereotypical thing where the—the—the the, the motivation for the superhero is that the people he loved have been killed and taken away from him, and so he must seek vengeance and revenge. I mean, it's just—it's a little bit of a tired motivation, and I am hoping that's not the direction they
0: go. Well, that's uh, both The Flash and The Arrow, I'm a little bit worried. Like It's kind of one of those things where they're good shows, but they're still CW shows. And I feel like so Mm. much of the weekly drama is the angst, and I don't know that that's necessary. I feel like if they decide to tell a good story, they don't need this character angst. They don't need to infuse, you know, Oliver and Diggle's relationship with unnecessary strife and awkwardness. Like, it's awkward for us to watch it. So I feel like... Yeah, a that. lot of
1: that, and I, I will agree with you, Joe, a lot of that is contrived, and it takes away from the enjoyment of the show, and, and it, it's something that's not necessary. The fact that Diggle is still upset at Oliver for what he did and won't let it go, and there's just all of this, feels like manufactured tension. And to what end, really? It, it's not necessary to further the plot of going after criminals and so forth. Similarly with The Flash. I thought The Flash's premiere episode was interesting and it was fun, and they kind of moved all the characters forward, and he finally got his dad out of the jail, and then his dad's like, I've got to go away in order for you to be you and for you are to be yourself. It wasn't at all believable. It felt so contrived. It was so bizarre. It's like this guy is already out finding criminals and dating women and works with the police. He seems to be perfectly fine being his own man. I don't think that the dad living in the same town is going to be a problem. And so they... They came up with this whole bizarre, contrived storyline, and I'm sure it's just because they don't want to pay the actor to be in the show, but they come up with something more believable. Yeah, I wish they'd came up with a more believable reason for him to
0: leave. He just decided he's got a job opportunity somewhere else, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, you know, something that just gets him out of the
1: picture, because... the Amazon.com hired him. They're hiring lots of people. I mean, the, yeah. The I only
0: mean, thing that could have made it any worse, in my opinion, is if they left him there and... He kind of does what Laurel's dad does in the arrow and bounce between, I don't want you fighting crime.
1: I need your help. I don't want you fighting crime. I yeah. want you. Like that yeah. would have driven me nuts. Absolutely. No, I don't really, again, I don't have a problem that they, that they're having the dad leave the show or not be a, a regular part of the show because it wasn't really a major part of the show anyway. And for the whole first season, he was a big motivation for the Flash to keep fighting because he wanted to you know, show that his dad is innocent and get him out of prison. And now that his dad is out of prison, they don't really need the character anymore. Yeah. So, fine, get him off the show. I just thought they did it in a really stupid way that kind of amplified this emotional connection in this family. You don't need it. You don't need that manufactured emotional uh, tension. And so, yeah. Yeah, it was a little, was a little bit. A little ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and so the, the final last thing I, I would say about those shows is Laurel's dad and that constant back and forth between him supporting her, not wanting her to be a crime fighter, supporting her, working with bad guys. That was something I was disappointed to see in the first episode, that he's in cahoots with this bad guy in some way. We don't know in what way. and We don't quite know what's going on, but I kind of thought... Oh, gosh, this character flip-flops more often than Mitt Romney flip-flops. He goes back and forth. It, it, at some point, it's just not believable. At some point, use a character for what he's for and then move on.
0: Yeah, he's another one that I feel is just there to cause unnecessary tension. I like the actor. I just hope they do something with him this season. And, and It feels a little bit jumping the shark. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's the person in the grave. Because I don't know that it's going to be one of the core. Maybe. You could be right. That'd be interesting. Um, I'd certainly rather see that. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. He's definitely on, on my short list of people. I don't know that it's gonna be Felicity because I think a lot of people are going to be pissed off if they decide to kill her off. I, the show, I don't think the show would be the same without her. So, if, the, if it is her, they'll bring her back at the beginning of the following season. And, and to me that cheapens the whole thing. I'm not, I'm not gonna go into my whole rant on death in television series, but, uh, Buffy did it well, Heroes didn't do it well, and the arrow is getting very, very close to not doing it well. So, uh, we've also
1: been watching The Amazing Race, which is your favorite show ever. Yeah, The Amazing Race is, uh, it it is my absolute favorite show. Uh, I love The Amazing Race. I love The Amazing Race for a variety of reasons. Obviously, I said at the beginning of the show that I really like geography. I like to travel. I like to see different places. I love different cultures and so forth. And The Amazing Race, Every episode you go to a different part of the world as a viewer you get to see the culture in those parts of the world and one of the really fun things about the amazing race is that very often the the cast members the the those who are racing the contestants whatever we want to call them are interacting with locals. I think that's one of the reasons the show's gotten a lot of accolades. They don't just simply go and observe from afar. They're doing these detours, they're doing these roadblocks where they're they're interacting with local people, they're doing things that celebrate local culture or try local cuisine so you really are introduced at least in 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 a small amount to uh, a given local city or a local town or a region of the world or something which i think is great but what is also so great about the amazing race is that they really show the relationships of these contestants and as you're watching over the course of the season there may be contestants at the beginning that you thought oh these are two people i don't like and then you kind of realize oh i really do like them because I kind of understand why they are the way they are. Or there may be people at the beginning you thought, oh, these are great people. And you realize, wow, they're really not. They're really not kind to one another. They really don't treat each other well and, and so forth. So you, it's a really great insight into relationships, how people relate to one another, how people communicate with one another. And I just find it fascinating. I find it really interesting to watch how some people, when in really challenging and difficult situations, manage to get through it with with grace and integrity and with largely being kind and considerate to each other and to the other team members, and other people don't. They kind of fall apart. And I, so I just find it find it to be a really really interesting fun show, and it's fast paced and there's always something to watch. So yeah. That's something I really enjoy.
0: Yeah, I definitely like it too. I do have to say though, this season I don't really have a strong connection to any of the contestants. I don't. I don't think any of the cast members this season are terribly engaging for me. And I think the ones that have been, we won't, we won't mention who it is in case you have not caught up. But um, I would have to say that the ones that are being voted off are the more interesting of the no, contestants. Voted off or, or who have been are, eliminated, yeah, have been eliminated yeah. are are the more um, engaging, and the yes, ones that really are a less that. interesting. <laughs> Or in some case in the case of Justin or whatever his wife's name is, or fiance, wife, I don't know. But, um, oh my God, he's so annoying. He just drives me
1: absolutely bonkers. Yeah, I think he's annoying too. I find him to be a bit egotistical. He's just one of those people who needs to be the center of attention. It's just always being loud and seeking a lot of attention. I have a little bit of a, I wouldn't say a soft spot for him. I'm, I'm a little bit more forgiving of him Because he's such a huge super fan, and he just seems so excited to be on the race, and his whole proposal was based on the amazing race, and he's just so excited. You always feel a little bit kind of like, okay, you are such a huge fan, and you're so excited to be doing this. You know, I'd like to at least see you be able to enjoy more of it. But no, I'm definitely not rooting for him overall. I find him really annoying, and I wouldn't mind him getting off uh, certainly before they get too far along in the race. To go back to your earlier point that there aren't people that we're really kind of really connecting with, I don't disagree, but I think that that's true for a lot of reality shows, whether it's Big Brother or it's The Amazing Race. When you're just a few weeks in, the number of contestants or the size of the cast, however you want to say it, is still large enough that any one couple or any one person doesn't get a huge amount of airtime. And so, it's, so I don't feel like we've, we've gotten to know them as much. I think even because I've noticed in previous seasons when you and I have both been kind of like, oh, there's nobody left that we're really interested in. All of the sexy guys have been eliminated or all of the really nice, funny people are off the show. But nevertheless, as you get down to that last five or six pairs, you start to become engaged with them and you're interested in them because you get to know them a little bit better. And I suspect that that may be the case this time around. I agree. A few of the earlier pairs to be eliminated were some of the ones we were kind of hoping to follow and were interested in um so that's a little bit disappointing but I still think it'll there I still think there are a bunch of pairs in there that uh we may become engaged with over time
0: I, I hope so I hope so cuz I like the show and I'll, I mean, we will of course watch it till the end but it's nice when you have somebody to root for them. right now I'm really not invested in anybody enough to root for anybody yet so yeah. there are three shows that are coming up that have not had their premieres yet, but that I think we're very excited about. Um the first one is Grimm, and I we are gonna spoil last season, so if you don't want spoilers, then skip ahead. Uh I'm I'm interested to see where they go with Grimm because at the end of the season last year they, they killed off Juliet.
1: Yes, that's true. And I was quite pleased. Um I think that I like Juliet. I thought she was interesting, but like with the mom of what's her name in The Walking Dead, Lori, Lori. Oh my god, she was another one of those really, really irritating women. And I'm not saying that that's, uh, you know, a good thing that shows right women in this way. Uh, you know, there may be a little bit of an issue there, but but setting that aside for the moment, uh, she was just really annoying. She was um, emotional and kind of cloying and she went back and forth, and and they made her character such a negative, vengeful, evil character, even though, yes, she was now a hex and beast, and that theoretically explained it. I just, I don't think that it would have been believable for her to come back and to be this loving wife that she was before again. So, <clears throat> pardon me. I think they really didn't have any other choice but to either kill her, as they did, or make her into this ongoing villain, and I just think that would have gotten a little bit. Tired. No,
0: I'm glad they didn't make her an ongoing villain. And I will, I will applaud them for for you know killing character off because the character really did become ir- irredeemable at some point. Like, yeah, and and she she kind of redeemed herself in the end, but there were consequences. So I think that there was a a good. Balance there, mm-hmm. you know. I, I think they did with the character what they needed to do. I th- don't think she became annoying until last season, though. When yeah, they, no, when, I would. Yeah, uh, yeah, I thought she was a great character up until then. She was very um supportive of him. She wanted to be involved with it. Um She had her own strength, her own. Uh, yeah,
1: the the pr- pr- the prior season, I think. Uh, I think with Juliet, the first season, she was a little bit annoyed because she didn't yet know he was a Grimm. And so he had that constant thing where she doesn't know and she can't figure it out. She doesn't know what's going on. And that gets a little bit old. You kind of got to, And I was pleased that the show actually didn't drag that off for too long. And then once she knew and she got over her emotional reaction to that, then she became this really interesting character.
0: Well, I've got to say just on that, I'm so glad that the secret identity thing, that that secret identity trope that is in so many of these shows has for the most part been written out like most of the shows right now aren't doing the secret identity stuff and even when they do it's like one person that they can't tell it's not everybody it's just that one person and and even then like the flash doesn't have the secret identity thing anymore um the arrow does but not with the
1: not with the main main character he's
0: not like hiding it from anybody it's just hiding it from the world in general um, I don't think that they're doing a lot of um, secret identity stuff with Supergirl. Right. Um, a, a little bit, but not. I don't. Yeah. Think it's much
1: just it's it's, it's old, it becomes distracting. Yeah. It's old. It's it's not. It was never terribly believable. You know. Oh, you know, Lois Lane never understood that Clark Kent wasn't Superman. I mean, we all joke about it now, looking back. It wasn't believable then, but they did it in order to further the storyline or to create that tension. To create the unnecessary the, tension. The yeah. unnecessary tension. But I think we, there are other ways to create tension as so we've. Previously discussed. So yeah, I'm I'm interested to see Grimm. Uh, it's a fun show. It's one of those which is yeah, you know what? That's a procedural too, <laughs> in a way. Each episode they've got a new crime to solve, but it's neat because each episode the crime involves this vessen that is a, an interesting in an an interesting thing in and of itself. It's like oh, what kind of vessen are we going to see this time? We're introduced to this this new Creature, and that's interesting. The fact that they're yeah. solving a crime about it almost takes a backseat to what is interesting about the the vessel, which is different from most procedurals, where the procedural part is what is front and center, and the the interesting, unique aspect is what's kind of shunted to the background. And
0: the the B plot has is bulkier, is it's much much bulkier B yeah. plot, and yeah. and I, I I appreciate that. Um, the Next one I want to talk about is a new premiere, but it has not started yet. And I'm very excited about it. It's called Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And the reason why I'm so ridiculously excited, like way more excited than I should be, is because it is all about my hometown, West Covina. And I am so very excited. Like they do a musical about West Covina. The premise is, is this woman follows her boyfriend from New York when he goes to pursue his acting career in L.A., And he decides to live in West Covina, and I am just ridiculously excited for
1: absolutely no other reason than it was filmed in my hometown. Like, but having said that, and uh, you know, and I certainly can understand that, that excitement, it's, it's really cool, and even in the trailers we do see a lot of familiar landmarks from West Covina where Joe grew up. It's getting good reviews though too. It sounds like it's gonna be a really quirky, unique show. Again, as we've obviously been talking about, we we watch a lot of procedurals. We watch a lot of superhero shows, a lot of shows that are, in one way or another, very dark. They involve crime or death or killing and figuring things out, saving the world. So there's a lot of darkness and tension and stress in a lot of the shows we watch. And so I am super-duper excited to be watching a show that's funny and entertaining and involves singing and done so in a way that at least appears to be Fairly campy and, and fun quirky. and interesting and quirky and novel. I mean, they're setting it in this—no offense to where Joe grew up—but very kind of boring uh, suburban area without a lot of things to draw people in. It's—it's it's just a very, very kind of generic. You know, Applebee's would be a super nice restaurant in West Covina. Oh, our Applebee's, kind is of phenomenal. A oh, I have no <laughs> doubt. Hopefully, we won't have to try it out. Um, um, I, I, I'm gonna—I'm just gonna say I—I I do
0: get. That West Covina is the joke. It is very much a joke, and I am perfectly fine being the butt of that joke, because West Covina is a very boring place to grow up in. It is a very, like, I think we were listed as one of the top ten least cultural places in California. Like, it, it's, and I'm, it's true. Like, there's, like, why, why? deny it like let's let's highlight it and make fun of
1: it because it's what it is yeah yeah and it's uh, you know and so many of us can relate to that i mean many of us have grown up myself included in small towns or little little do nothing suburban areas or whatever those towns are great for, for raising kids and then you escape and, and go on with your life um so yeah i think that show is going to be really fun i think it's going to be a nice counterpoint to a lot of the shows we're watching on an energy level on a on a valence level in terms of being more positive and, and everything else. So yeah, very excited about that. Um but shall we flip back for a moment to the very intense and dark and and stressful Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead franchise?
0: Yes, and I think we're leaving this for last on our, our list because um it, the premiere is we're recording this on uh Saturday and it's going to be tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. So we're very excited. Um Although I have to say, and I've heard a couple people mention this, I enjoyed the f- fear The Walking Dead, the newness of it, mm-hmm.
1: that I'm not sure I'm quite ready to go back to The Walking Dead. Like, Well, that's actually a really interesting point, and, it, and, and that's something I hadn't thought a lot about, but I think that there could be a lot of truth to that. We're all very familiar with The Walking Dead and what's happened over the last few seasons, and what the show has done, but what the show hasn't done, namely gotten really anywhere in terms of getting these characters to go beyond just racing through the woods, surviving. And with Fear of the Walking Dead, we really got to see this whole epidemic, if you will, from a very, very different perspective. It's in an urban environment. It's the beginning of the epidemic. We're getting to see it unfold. So switching back then to The Walking Dead, even though it's, of course, in the future from Fear the Walking Dead may feel a little bit like kind of going backwards uh, a little bit. It'll, that'll be interesting. I, I'm not sure. I really do like The Walking Dead, and I should probably say that I watched The Walking Dead because Joe made me watch The Walking Dead. This was a show when it first came on that I would have probably been at the top of my list of shows that I have zero interest in ever seeing. I don't like violence. I in particular don't like graphic violence, and I still would say in general I'm not a fan of violence. I think there's too much violence in games and in television and so forth. I think there's some there's some serious issues around that, but that could be a topic for another another time. But you know, so and I just personally don't don't enjoy watching. It. I find it disturbing. Uh, you know, Joe and I had several evenings uh, where at the end of the show I was just really shaken up and disturbed, and I was like, no, I don't want to just go to bed now and or have you go to bed and me sit up here in a dark house because I'm I, I'm disturbed beyond just simply being scared that somebody's at the door, but just feeling feeling kind of bad about things. So that's not my my wheelhouse. Having said all of that, it's a great show. And it's a fun show. And what makes it fun is that yes, there's a lot of violence and graphic violence, but the characters are interesting. They're really well written. It's set in this dystopic future, of course, that is based on a zombie apocalypse and on this this kind of idea of this virus getting in and turning everybody into zombies. But of course, that could be substituted with any number of other issues which would render the world in that way. It could be, you know, the aftermath of, of nuclear war or some other type of virus or some other incident which leaves us without uh civilization really anymore, without technology and, and how do we cope and how do we survive? And the show is very much about all of those things, and I think that that's one of the things that's really interesting, in addition to the interpersonal relationships of the main characters. I'm a little afraid that this season is going to be another Rick is going
0: crazy kind of season. Well, I hope it's not that, because I I I feel like we've done that. Yeah, and and (laughs) unfortunately I've I've been reading up on the comic book, and it is, again, Rick's character is all about whether or not to trust people whether or not, and I feel like eventually he becomes the, the least interesting character of the group. I'm more interested in Daryl. I'm really interested in Carol. Mm-hmm. I think Carol's an amazing character. Michonne, I think has a lot of fun and interesting places that she can go that we
1: haven't quite seen her go yet. Mm-hmm. Um, Well, I agree. And I think, you know, I I have some hope because we've certainly seen in the past that the show writers are willing to go in a different direction than the comics have gone. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, sometimes I understand it's certainly frustrating for people, but they're two different mediums. And what works well in uh, graphic novel and comics doesn't necessarily play out well on the television screen. And, of course, the audiences are different, too. And so, hopefully... Um, they'll move things along in in a somewhat different direction in terms of Rick, as you said. And I'm also hoping this season that we have them moving beyond just the whole survival mode in a camp in the woods somewhere. I mean, yes, they found that little small town, which was kind of like, you know, quaint little Christmas village American, you know. I would like to see them actually get somewhere and to further the story along, or they get to a military base where there are military people or they get to D.C. where there's some semblance of government or they get to like at some point something has to happen. At some point, they're not just a group of people wandering around the woods. And so if I can spend a moment uh, using that as a segue to talk a little bit more specifically about Fear of the Walking Dead, I thought it was a really interesting um, show. I enjoyed it. A little disappointed. It was only eight episodes because it felt like it was a little bit short. Although I understand that's how they started The Walking Dead as well. It is actually um, six. a six episode. Yeah, so even more so. Um, I will say that I was a little bit disappointed. I feel like it was a little bit of a missed opportunity. One of the things that I was really interested in seeing was how society dealt with a. a the emergence of an epidemic which is of course in this case creating zombies and killing people which would slowly play out over time you know obviously you have the period in time which people are dying and turning into these things but we don't know what it is and people don't believe it and doctors are reporting things but people aren't seeing it and this and that and that would I would imagine play out over a period of weeks and months and then eventually it becomes more obvious that more and more people are having this and so on and so forth and I felt like the show just Like one episode, they zip past all of those interesting things about the society finding out and about people communicating this and how does the media handle it, how does the government handle it, to, okay, the whole city is killed and now we're in these military camps and these military quarantine zones and now we're evacuating off to Edwards Air Force Base and this and that. It's like they just zip right past early days of the epidemic and how society reacts to it. That's what I wanted to see. I wanted to see the reaction of society beyond people screaming and running in the streets and flipping over cop cars, which I thought was a little, perhaps somewhat unbelievable. I I think that, for the most part, I don't think people go rioting every time there's a civil issue. Well, yeah, but
0: I think they were trying to play up, and this is part of the problem, I think they were trying to play up that it was being portrayed as unnecessary police violence.
1: Yeah, they tried and, to and, but tap they into a, a very
0: current issue. Yeah, but they didn't, they didn't do it well or specifically enough
1: to exactly. warrant the reaction. It that just, it just came across as people acting crazy and looting and hating the police for no particularly good reason. You know, they, they made a nod here or there to, oh yeah, the police are overly violent or this that, but I mean, if you're going to bring in a current issue like that, which is really very important and very controversial, you've got to give it time, you've gotta explain it, you've gotta make it clear that that this is the issue that you're, that you're speaking to, and they didn't, they didn't spend Mm -hmm. enough time on that, and so it didn't come off well, and it just seemed like they zipped past it, and now at the end of just six episodes, the main characters are pretty much in the same position that the characters in The Walking Dead are at. Yeah. So it's like the whole idea of the Sphere of The Walking Dead is gonna see early days of the epidemic, okay, six episodes, and now it's just the exact same people, in the same situation that The Walking Dead people were, but now they're on the West Coast. And so, I mean, that still could be interesting. Mm-hmm. You still could see how they deal with it in different climates, different environments. Maybe they're going to be a boat. Maybe they're going to go to see who knows. We're not sure. So that's interesting, but it's not nearly as different from The Walking Dead as we were made to believe, I think, in the run-up to the show. Yeah. Now, that being said, the final episode was really good. Yeah, I, I think the so final good. episode was really
0: good. But I don't know. I'm I'm interested to see Walking Dead this season. I'm interested for Fear of the Walking Dead to come back. I don't know. I like The Walking Dead. So hopefully we'll see good things this season. Yeah, I'm interested. Well, we have other shows here, but I think those are the ones that we wanted to cover the most. So let's move to closing this stuff out. Uh Do you have any shout-outs, Matt, that you'd like to... Anybody I'd know? love
1: to shout-out to my husband. For inviting me on his podcast and trusting me to talk about these issues, even though uh, he doesn't always see me as being a, a full-fledged card-carrying member of the geek community. Hopefully, I've demonstrated that I do have maybe a little bit more geekitude uh, than I sometimes come across as having. Who knows? But I'll give a sh- I'll give a shout out to to Joe, and of course, as does everyone. A shout out to mom and dad.
0: Oh, very nice. Um, and then I'd like to give a shout out to my wonderful husband for being a guest on my show and, uh, for letting me slowly and quietly changing him into a geek, one fandom at a time. Big shout out to Jeff and Jean and Lady Gaga for possibly influencing my husband into scary. Well, I certainly agree with that. Show.
1: I am, I am thankful to them as well for, for introducing me to that and uh, maybe finding another area that I, that I kind of enjoyed that I didn't think I, I did in this uh, whole scary, uh, scary theme park and maybe scary movie thing.
0: Yes. This has been an episode of Geektitude. All the music in this episode is by Ben Sound and is being used under a Creative Commons license. You can find more music by Ben Sound at www.bensound.com and you can currently find us at geektitude.com if you would like to contact me, you can send me an email at JoeHogan at Geektitude.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at GeekTitude, which is the show's Twitter. And my personal Twitter is at Grays Well, thank you very much, Matt, for being on my show. I appreciate it. I'm thrilled to be here. It was a lot of fun, Joe. Thank you. And for all of you listening, remember this week, keep it geek.